Greetings. Welcome to the Bible Unbound podcast. I'm Jim, your host. Thank you for joining me as we work our way once again through the book of Revelation. Today we want to consider Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, in what seems to be a Trinitarian greeting in this section of the book of Revelation, just prior to John's first great vision of the Lord himself. This is in verses 4 through 8, which reads, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So first of all, we have the introduction of God the Father himself. Verse 4, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. The first part of the phrase, the one who is, is obviously a reference in John's mind to Exodus chapter 3, where there, just prior to the confrontation with Pharaoh, God says to Moses, I am who I am. I am the eternally existent being. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent to you. But along with this first phrase, the one who is, are two other phrases, who was and is to come. Now, these two phrases, who was, who is to come, are not necessarily Old Testament designations of Yahweh, but rather they're from pagan Greco-Roman attributes of the false god Zeus. There was a pagan ode to Zeus entitled Doves at Dondana, and included in that ode is this phrase, Zeus who was. Zeus, who is, and Zeus, who will be. So what's John doing? Well, I think he's borrowing from their common pagan idolatry, and he's making a specific, bold, in-your-face theological claim to the Greco-Roman world that the God of Israel was what Zeus claimed to be, the one who is, was, and who is coming, So John is weaving together with his weaver's rod that declaration of Exodus chapter 3 into those common pagan designations of the false god Zeus, and he is saying, in fact, the God of Israel is the true source of existence, the self-eternal one who existed from eternity, will always be, and who is yet to come. So it's kind of a standoff between the religion of Christ being revealed to John over against the pagan idolatry and the god Zeus. 
Now further, we have in verse 8, Revelation 1, the statement, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So it's the same as verse 4, with the addition of the phrase, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. So again, the first part of this designation is founded in Exodus 3, verse 14, when God said to Moses, I am who I am. But the addition of the statement, I am the Alpha and the Omega, sees John weaving into and dipping into not just Exodus 3, but he goes over to Isaiah 44 and 48. He says in Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. And again, Isaiah 48, 12, Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel whom I have called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. So in other words, the exodus theme of deliverance, of Yahweh delivering his people, will be woven into revelation at frequent intervals. Sometimes it'll be very, very clear that we have parallels between the situation with the gods of Pharaoh being judged and things like the trumpets and the bowls of wrath, where they deal with parallel content And so what we have here is a second exodus, a second deliverance. John wants his readers to know that as God showed himself to be the deliverer of his people from Egyptian slavery, so will he also deliver his believers under persecution. He is the same. Now what's more than that, for John, this God, Yahweh, became a man in Christ Jesus. Because John will specifically link his description of God that we've just looked at in verse 4 and verse 8 with Jesus in verse 17 of chapter 1, which reads, When I saw him, says John, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last. So as Yahweh identified himself as the first and the last, now Jesus, who is laying his hand of comfort on John, is saying that he himself is also the first and the last, the one who died and yet lives, and he has the keys to everlasting life and death, and that he is on the side of those believe. So secondly, Jesus is brought forth in this Trinitarian greeting, but he's also noted very clearly in verse 5, which reads, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. Now this is from the Messianic demonstration in Psalm 29, verse 26, where God says, He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Those claims are what Jesus is attributing to himself before John at this moment there on the Isle of Patmos. 
So that phrase we read, the firstborn of the dead, now that could have reference to chronological order because Jesus was the first to be resurrected to eternal life. But I think that word firstborn means much, much more. For example, in the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul uses the phrase twice concerning Christ. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, that is, by Jesus, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. This is some of the highest Christology found in the Bible anywhere, these claims about the superiority, the singularity of the glory of Jesus Christ. And that word that's used twice in that section, uh, firstborn, is the Greek word prototokos. It can have the temporal element. We know that Christ was the first to rise from the dead to be brought into eternity and time unending. But in this context, especially here in Colossians 1, it has also a hierarchical element, not just a temporal, but a hierarchical element. In other words, it means not just firstborn, but actually it means chiefborn, first as in highest order. This is truly high Christology, and it's the high Christology that John sees before him as he is seeing Christ in his glory on the Isle of Patmos, in the Spirit, on the Lord's Day. So we see not only God the Father introduced and Jesus Christ introduced, but thirdly we see the Spirit introduced in verse 4, the second part, which reads, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Seven, verse four, it's used to designate seven churches. It's used to designate seven candlesticks. In this place, seven spirits. Now, this is the first time the word seven is actually used in the book of Revelation. It's the first of 54 times that the number seven is used. And what is the significance of the number seven here, especially as it's seen attached to the Spirit, the seven spirits who are before the throne? Well, it's used four different times in the book of Revelation, the seven spirits. But all we have to do is really go back to the days of creation. How many days were there in the creation week? Well, there were seven. Seven is the number, metaphorically speaking, of completion or fullness throughout the Bible. So when we read in verse 4, the seven spirits were before the throne, we don't need to go off into some novel idea that there are somehow seven different spirits of God. We might be tempted to begin a denomination, the 
seven spirit of Godites or something like that. No, you don't need to be doing that. John may be weaving the metaphor of seven used in such a prominent way in the book of Revelation. He might be thinking about a chapter like Isaiah chapter 11. Notice this designation. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now that's a reference to Jesus Christ. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now listen to this designation. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There were seven designations there of what the Spirit, which is sent forth by Jesus Christ, that's Acts chapter 2, verse 33, that Christ, when he sends forth his Spirit, it has at least these sevenfold attributes. It's the spirit of the Lord. It's the spirit of wisdom. It's the spirit of understanding, of counsel, might, knowledge, fear. But John, in his wisdom and his genius, the creative genius of the visions that he's being given, could also be weaving in Second Chronicles. 16 verse 9, interesting passage, which reads, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Eyes of the Lord just spanning and searching throughout the world to give support to those whose heart is blameless. Well, that's very similar to what we read in Revelation 5, 6, when it says, And between between the throne of the four living creatures I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Very similar to what the writer of the book of Chronicles has stated in 2 Chronicles 16.9, eyes searching, being sent out into all the earth. It's the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who, as it says in Acts 2, verse 33, when he raised from the dead, he received the promise of the Father and has sent forth this, Peter says, which you now see and hear, which was, this sevenfold completeness of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost when he was coming to fill his people and form the body of Christ. So this is how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are introduced to us here at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Next week we'll look at verse 7. Concerning the second coming of Christ, which is introduced in that verse. And so until then, I want to wish you a very, very happy day in the Lord. I hope you are knowing his blessing and richness and fullness. And we'll see you again in about a week.